Thick Friend Podcast. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And I wanted to talk to you today about how there's a variety of patriotism that is anti-black. And it's this blind patriotism that is given expression, given very clear expression in a recent tweet by a sitting U.S. senator, one of the most powerful men in these United States with respect to the ability to secure justice for black communities is not a big fan of critical race theory. And that's a problem. And I'm going to give you the tweet right now. Once I just get it up here, here it is. And like I said, this is a sitting U.S. senator who says critical race theory has no place in our schools. Uh, we should be teaching our children why the U.S. is the greatest country in the world. That is ridiculous. Um, that's like a doctor saying that, like, we can't study disease. We should be teaching our children why the human body is the greatest creation and um, in the history of, you know, evolution or God's great earth, right? Like, that we, as doctors, we should not be studying disease. We should be studying the greatness and marveling at the wonders that is the human body. That You'd call that doctor a hack. That doctor would not be a very good doctor. And citizens who do not know um, about the United States are confused about how this nation functions, not for all of its citizens, would are the, the equivalent of hacks, except in a, in a, in a political form, right? So it's irresponsible politics and it'd be irresponsible medicine. You could say engineers should not know how things are broken. They should know how things work and just ignore how they're broken mechanics. But real mechanics should understand how cars, uh, why cars are fantastic. They shouldn't understand how cars sometimes break and need to be repaired, right? So it's that same, it's, it's ludicrous. And so you have to ask yourself, when a sitting congressperson has such a ludicrous understanding of their role as a politician, because make no mistake, he's saying that his role as a politician isn't to actively redress problems, and especially for Maryland, because Maryland's one of those states where when uh, slaves were freed, they paid slave owners and left the slaves destitute. They feel like, we got to give reparations to the slave owners for taking their property, not paying the people who were like used to be considered property um and and understanding that those people need money in order to live and need like now all of the resources required of people in order to uh thrive in the united states right so what does it mean that we're scared to teach u.s history in a way that would actually secure racial justice well it means that we think that the racial story in the united states is accidental to american patriotism as in you could have an america without black degradation this is what stephen cassidy's people are trying to low-key push this idea that you don't have to talk about colonialism you don't have to talk about black degradation in order to talk about america and that is ridiculous because America is not accidentally racist or incidentally racist. Like part of its functioning being is racism. The South is on, not just the South, the entire United States. 
like the the political and economic flows of the entire United States is is on like it, it's it's um unrecognizable without anti-black racism or racism in general, especially anti-black racism, because the nation emerged with an economy to secure an internal colony, which is black communities, right? And like the nation did not emerge in order to like as a vehicle for enabling political and economic empowerment of all of its people. It emerged to sustain a gulag, <laughs> to sustain black degradation. So it's not an accident that black communities are degraded and without real economic and political power. It's not an accident. It is a feature of America. So you think about the American dream, and you can see this in all of our discretionary institutions. You think about the, what's the American dream? People talk about the American dream as like, you know, um, uh, you know leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best, whatever, like the leafy suburb um, where, you know, the guy works nine to five and comes home and to a leafy suburbs with kids running around, all of that stuff. That American dream, that conception of the American dream is not, is anti-black, right? It was only conceived through uh, U.S. policy that um, uh, subsidized white people buying property in the suburbs and like, you know, also like housing and infrastructure policy to get roads out to the suburbs and clean water out to the suburbs while starving and concentrating um, poverty and degradation in the city centers that were black, right? So you, when I talk about this US policy, it's the FHA policies, it's explicit. And there are tomes that have been written. Uh, Mercer Baradaran's book, The Color of Money. There's uh, Rothstein's book, uh, The Color of Wealth, or The Color of Law. Like, I, I think Kiata Yamada Taylor wrote a book. Like, just Google racism in the FHA. <laughs> um, and you'll find out how America created racialized suburbs because in order to create stable neighborhoods, stable neighborhoods, they decided that stable neighborhoods, they would subsidize stable neighborhoods uh, for the whites. So black people couldn't live there and those are your suburbs, right? So the American dream of the picket fence and all of the suburban house and all that is fundamentally anti-black by design. It was designed to be anti-black. So all the wealth, and you know, there's a lot of wealth that has emerged in the United States from white people who happen to have white grandfathers who bought a house in now one of these racialized suburbs. And now since that racialized suburb has not had to actually deal with the American problem of how to make black people whole, the, um, that holiday and that quality of life that was premised on anti-blackness is now something people pay for, right? Like the white flight suburbs, if there's real racial justice, their, their housing values are gonna go down because their housing values are premised upon securing space from the American problem of how to deal with, you know, unredressed racial justice claims of black people, right? So. If you're a white flight suburb and like no small m number of these private schools make money for by promising distance from black communities, like that economy depends on black degradation. And that's no small number of private schools and white flight suburbs um, whose entire reasons for being 
is that they market distance from the American problem of how to make the Negro whole. Right? So the family life, the family American way of life in terms of family is fundamentally anti-black. Charles Payne wrote a nice little article about this, how the whole U.S. is Southern. It turns out that, that everybody wants the American life, which means distance from the American problem of how to make black communities whole. I did another video on this about how racial justice is an American problem, but through some very complicated machinations, we made it a black problem. We've conceived it as a black problem, but it's really an American problem. It's always been an American problem, and we need to fix that and take... And so that we've given other communities a holiday from the American problem, right? So by making an American problem a black problem, you've given black people a triple helping of uh, the American problem. They get it because they're the oppressed community, black. They get it because they're American, and they get their fair share of the American problem. And they also get the white share of the American problem, or the non-black share of the American problem, which is how to make black communities whole after you know, systemic degradation. So black communities get a triple share of the American problem, while all the other communities um, get a holiday from an American problem. They get like a tax holiday from the American problem. And what that ends up doing, then they market that holiday from the American problem, saying like, you live here, you work here, you do this way, and we'll give you a holiday from the American problem, which is how to make black uh, communities whole. And, and a lot of people make money from promising avoiding tax avoidance, avoiding paying their fair share of the American problem, or actually grappling with the, uh, the American problem in a, in a uh, responsible way. And what this congressman is doing is saying that part of the American identity and what we should be telling kids is they don't have to deal with the American problem. <laughs> Like, so avoiding racial justice is so much a part of America that when we talk about uh, racial justice, like, it's anti-patriotic. And when we actually teach what you need to understand racial justice and, and degradation, it's conceived as anti-American. Right? So... So that's the family. Then we all know about another discretionary institution, you know, property. We have colonialism and, and, and eminent domain and all of these land grabs that have involved either Native American people or black people or black people losing property for a variety of reasons or getting their property just flooded or the random pogroms in the U.S. South. So that's another part of America that is explicitly anti-black, not accidentally. It's that... Marietta, I'm talking about Georgia, uh, Forsyth County, these places aren't what they are if they're not anti-black. Anti-blackness makes them what they are. And so it's not an incidental part. And so that all of the resources that have emerged through anti-blackness need to be shared and distributed among the blacks. Uh, resources and power um, that have emerged through these anti-black policies need to be fairly distributed. Um, so there are... Um, yeah, so we talked about family life that the conception depends on anti-blackness. The property, conception of American property, even conception of American gun ownership. We would not be the kind of gun ownership culture we are if it, if it weren't for, you know, the history of slave patrols and the fear that black people will actually violently try to secure justice for themselves. 
Right, like, like that's all not incidentally anti-black. That's fundamentally anti-black, right? And same with we would not have the economy we have and the way of life that that economy secures if not for the labor and other unforced or coerced labor of black people. Um, not just in slavery, but afterwards through Jim Crow. And, you know, the, you know, all the, I remember reading a biography of Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton was talking about, everybody thinks about Bill Clinton as being poor. Bill Clinton grew up as the son of a car dealer. Um, his mom married up after his dad passed. And uh, there was a biography of Clinton he's talking about, and this woman was talking about how, you know, Bill Clinton had a black nanny, and they had the same nanny, and they all, because everybody had a black nanny. But what does that mean, that everybody had a black nanny? That means a white way of life in Arkansas, even for people who uh, were considered, like, who can now style themselves as not being well off, like, had resources to black labor. Like, what does that mean? It means that the white way of life depended on black labor. Um, and, you know, this is explicit. And so I did another show about the South Carolina town that forbade black women from not working. <laughs> like, it forced black women to work when their husbands went to fight in World War I. Uh, Negro women to be put to work. I can't... Uh, can't find the article now, but I did a whole show on it, and it's just that America, the American way of life depends on the exploited labor of of black people, and now you have entire like economies around you know prison labor and in bonds people, and like there was just an entire labor that depends on black people being vulnerable, and then trying to that secures that succeeds only because black people are, are politically and economically vulnerable. Um, so, and then there's, you know, politics, right? So that's another form. And politics includes like what we're allowed to govern and talk about in society. We're not even allowed to talk about that quality of vulnerability in order to redress it because that's seen as anti-black. So you have to, con you have to understand that when we do this, we actually, we actually create a distorted population and distorted in a way that disproportionately hurts uh, the most vulnerable. And here's, here's uh, the myth, why the myth of meritocracy hurts kids of color. If you teach kids that everything is fair and everything is as it should be, they end up blaming themselves for things that they shouldn't blame themselves for. They, sh they, if you don't teach them systems analysis, they blame, they individualize and personalize and privatize a lot of things that are the properties of systems and are properly the properties of systems. And they need to be, un they need to understand systems and how their self is realized through these systems in order to understand how to govern and change systems and secure justice for themselves and their people. Um, and if you don't do that, they end up individualizing it. They take bad risks and they. Like, it's a great article from The Atlantic. If you teach kids that life is fair, then they end up individualizing a lot of things that they should be redressing. And that's a problem for anyone who cares about justice. But make no mistake, Cassidy's tweet is not a accident. There's a lot at stake 
in papering over how much how the functioning of America depends on qualities of systemic degradation. There's no shame in actually addressing it. And look, the functioning of the Greek democracy also depended on slavery. Right? So we should actually look at, look, we don't know what it means to have a self-governing society that lives up to its concept. And we need to actually do that work. But assuming that we do know what, that, what it means for a self-governing society to live up to its concept is how we get ourselves into trouble. And is how we just continue standing orders of degradation that need to be redressed if we're going to actually be the great nation that we like to tell ourselves we are. We need to take it seriously. What is it? What would it be like to democratize power um, and the conditions of citizenship and, and self-determination throughout the populace? We haven't done that. Right now, we have an internal colony of uh, black people who are scared to talk like I am talking. Now, and are threatened with action if they talk like I am talking. Um, I've been threatened with all sorts of actions, and yet I survive. And if you want me to keep doing what I'm doing, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, fifty dollars a month. Then I'll just kind of keep putting this together from my, you know, not unthoughtful perspective about the problems we face today and how to make black communities whole. Because we need to actually think through some of these institutions, including education and what we tell ourselves about ourselves in order to make ourselves a better people. Right. So, yeah, I mean, think about what it means that a sitting congressman says, critical race theory has no place in our schools. We should be teaching our children why the United States is the greatest country in the world. That is setting, uh, that's a danger for the entire world because that's the kind of thought that gets us into wars we shouldn't be in because we don't understand that sometimes we're in wars we shouldn't be in. Right, that leads to militarism because like we don't learn lessons. Militarism because we don't learn lessons from our mistakes. If we're too busy talking about how great we are and how well we do everything and how many how much our systems work, so this is actually a very dangerous, a very very dangerous ideology that you can't both uh, be critical of your standing practices and see the virtues of them and see how they're intertwined. And try to, you know, distill or purify the virtues of your standing practices by taking away the degradation. And if you don't, under, like, again, if you don't understand how racism and, in a sense, militarism is part of the American, not just an accidental part of American identity, but a necessary part of the American functioning, you don't understand too much about America. Like, our dollar isn't really, is pegged to our nuclear submarines. Like, our dollar is strong because of our military might. And you just need to understand what that means. Um, so that you're con not confused about like how much money we have and what the dollar means and what makes the dollar strong. The fact that we can nuke the world who don't, anybody who doesn't, uh, not only can we nuke anybody who doesn't pay us what we think we, they owe us, we could also lease our nukes and threaten to invade countries that don't pay countries we like what countries we like think that the countries we don't like owe them. Right, so that's what makes our dollars strong. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand America. Like the federal, like there are parts of the United States that are not pretty, and the parts that are the United States that are pretty depend on the parts of the United States that are not pretty. So you need to know 
the whole thing if you're going to actually govern the nation in a responsible way, which is our project. And with that, I'm going to go. Good day of hanging out with the kids today, and um, I will see you next week at this time. Peace.